Welcome back to the Cup and Ball Pod, where you look at all things Spurs and the time it takes you to walk through Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. I'm Tom, aka Fen, and I'll be leading you through this roadmap to victory. And with me tonight is a man who's hoping schools reopen soon and hope that they produce some more intelligent coaches. It's Ash. <laughs> I was really worried about when I was going. <laughs> Good evening, Tom. <laughs> Good evening. At the next stage is a man who's hoping grassroots football returns and I hope that we can finally produce some decent centre-backs in North London. It's Jules. Good evening, sir. How are we? Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, and at our final stage of the roadmap, next to a sign foot at North, is a man who's desperately trying to find six people he can actually meet outdoors with. It's Jim. Hey, up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guess what, lads? Spurs have won a game of football. We're at the uh, return of the Europa League in midweek, so we've beat the lowest-ranked team in the competition, 4-1, wee! Uh, but the biggest talking point, Ash, came before the ball was even kicked. We had Deli Alley and Bale starting. Yeah, and to be fair, they made the biggest impact on the game as well. I like the way Delhi was picking up really clever positions, and uh, much like in pretty much all the games that he's played for us, he tried to dictate what he played. Um, I was, yeah, I was, I was really pleasantly impressed with both of them. At the time, I was disappointed when Bale came off because of the level of his performance. But, you know, I suppose it was justified in the end. We'll come back to that later. But, yeah, brilliant. All but, all but Sissoko, it was, it was a good performance. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, do you think that lad has finished sliding yet? The one, the one who tried to block and like was heading off the pitch at quite a velocity? They probably have to prize him out of the hoardings eventually. <laughs> Whether they've done that yet, who knows. But I thought the first half was particularly impressive. We started so intense and there was a lot of pressure on them. And I, I thought we looked pretty good uh, in the first half. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if you guys were particularly worried about a potential drop-off from that in the second half. Yeah, I mean, from the first half, they were starting to... They, they had exposed a few issues with us. Like they, they pressed us quite high, which really emphasised or really highlighted how bad we are at dribbling in the field. <laughs> um, and that sort of came to bite us in the arse in the second half when obviously they, um, they, they upped the tempo, they got a the little bit of confidence from Sissoko doing a Sissoko and um, they really gave us a game. But to be fair, when our, our players were asked to, they stood up and they were counted for. I think Sissoko, wrong, wrong, man, in, wrong man in that area of the pitch, wasn't it? Sizoko saw someone coming near the ball and was like, my ball, bang! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure he knows what a Cruyff turn is. You know, in Dumbledore, they would have tried something fancy like that. Sizoko just hasn't got that in his locker. Uh, yeah, the goat, my arse. I think the goat needs sacrificing. Um, <laughs> but I think perhaps uh, Aussie pellets, as they should technically be called, um, perhaps a little bit naive in their approach. I kind of admired it. It's good to see a team come and give it a go. It's the biggest game of their history. But ultimately, if you're going to leave that much space in and around the, the press, it's not actually that effective. And it, it kind of worked to our favour quite a lot. It meant we found space all over the pitch and ultimately we could run away with that uh, in the first half. But it was a strangely professional performance from us, which uh, I kind of had to admire. Do you think it's uh, quite difficult in the in the second leg? Because it feels a little bit like it's job done, doesn't it? Uh, and as... Ajax found out a couple of years ago, you can think it's job done to be a little bit complacent in the second leg. Um, and it's a bit weird that Spurs haven't been up for a lot of these kinds of games. Like Wickham was a bit of a struggle at first and Brentford, I seem to remember, wasn't great for a full 90. In a game where it feels like it's job done, how do you get motivated in the same way 
without losing that edge and professionalism that you were just talking about. I, I don't know, really. Well, first, uh, I'm surprised that you can remember anything about the Brentford game other than the fact <laughs> that we got through. That's <laughs> Soko scored in that game. I never forgot oh, that. there you go. I'm hopeful that um, we've seen, we'll come on to it a bit later, but we've seen Lamella and Moira sort of in the, moved into the Premier League starting eleven, And there were certainly players who were trying to knock on a door in those attacking positions. So I'm hoping if there's some competition for places uh, and there's probably going to be a bit of rotation in the upcoming leg, then hopefully it will inspire them to, to keep that free goal cushion. But obviously if we, if we concede first and head start to drop. So just on Lucas, just on Lucas and Lamella, they absolutely baffle me. They seem to do it both of them all the time, where they'll spend a long time on the bench, or you know, coming back from injury in Lamella's case, and then they'll play really well until they get in the starting lineup, and then just fall apart again. It's a bit <laughs> like I don't know, like someone's chasing a girlfriend, and then they they finally got him, and then they just sit down and become a slob, and you know, yeah, don't talk to him. <laughs> no, exactly. I don't know what it is. What what is that like? George, you're the only one here that actually plays football. <laughs> what could be the reason for it? I think it's a weird sort of mentality thing of once you've achieved your goal, what's the next goal? And I think the best players often set themselves those little incremental challenges. Wasn't it um, Fergie used to place bets with Ronaldo on how many goals he had to score the following season? Those little, those little goals make the difference. But I just find watching Lucas and Lamella, I feel like they're turning into caricatures of themselves. But I've never, I've never seen a player ball roll as much as unnecessarily as Lamella now does. And Mora is like becoming even more. If he couldn't be any more head down, he is burrowing into the earth. Like he is so, he is so head down. I don't get it. Lamella and Mora remind me of um, like Benson and Hedges in the uh, Mike Bassett, England manager. They're, <laughs> they're warming up behind the gaffer, going, oh, Bring me off, bring me on, Gaff, go on, bring, bring me on, and uh, I'll, I'll do something. And I feel like Mourinho's fallen for it a bit because they've been, <laughs> he's, he's admired their ambition, but I, I do think they've got some slight delusions of grandeur. I, d- I don't blame the guy shouting <laughs> run at Mora because I realise, like, the, the more time I miss playing football and I'm not able to, the more I realise how often I shout drive at wingers. They don't have a fucking car, but I'm screaming, <laughs> driving them. <laughs> like, and I look back, I'm like, when it's I not get bank back, robbery. <laughs> honestly, but it's like <laughs> when I get back on the pitch, I need to, I need to not use cliches. I've got two here. That's my favourite cliche. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute favourite. The one, I, the one, I, the one I hate the most is when someone shouts "time" and you don't have it. <laughs> it's just counterintuitive. Like honestly, like I've, I've had, I remember last season playing in a match where I got absolutely beaten up and every time I was trying to get on the ball someone shouted time at the exact same moment as someone clattered the fuck out of me and I was like don't tell me I've got time if I clearly don't like, this is not helpful <laughs> is that just but I like the opposite going at the speed of the Titanic Jules <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, I, I never said that I was an agile man I, 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 will, not, I will not claim I thought not you claim. could turn on a pick sixpence because surely you who was it? It was Einstein who said that time is relative. So if you shout time to Ndombele and he's got a man right behind him, then mm. you can still shout time at him because he'll just go, OK, well, I'm just going to pivot somewhere else then. But I don't know, with Jules, you might need sort of a centre circle. Oh, you never know, we might start you in the second leg. Before we uh, we move on to West Ham, we actually got a question right at the last minute from Richie Tolliman on Instagram. 
he asked if we qualify for Europe by winning the League Cup but finish outside the European places in the league table, do you think that would be successful? I.e., is the European is the Europa League good enough for us? Europa League gets us a Champions League spot, mate. Mm. So fucking yes, if <laughs> we can pull that off. It's our only yeah. chance. Um, league League Cup, but what like finish ninth? Is that what you're saying? But that's what we're that's what we're looking like the best possibility for us at the moment. The question should be: Are we good enough for the Europa League? Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm not totally convinced we are. I mean, I'm so glad that this the famous last words this knockout round looks like uh, we've got it in the bag. We certainly should do. But after that, we're still in the round of 16. It seems so daunting. We're so far away from even getting close to the final. I, I don't see it myself. I mean, I still do think on our day we could be anyone in the Europa League. The only problem is we don't have any days anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the abyss is upon us. There is absolutely no light and no day. So. <laughs> yeah, it is the end of days. I guess the issue is on, on their day, Spurs can beat anyone in that competition. But on their day, anyone in that competition can beat Spurs. <laughs> does anyone care about the Europa League it's like it's like the classic community shield sort of competition that you're like I really don't care unless you win it but it's just stretched out over six months it's like it's like a form of like ancient Chinese torture or something <laughs> just going, um, yeah I'd actually be more annoyed if we made it all the way to the semi-finals and copped it then because we did three preliminary rounds before we even got to the groups. By that time, you've played about 11 teams who you've never heard of. And you just think, fucking hell, the amount that's taken out of our team and how that's probably affected our league form is actually more frustrating. But yeah, like you say, if you, if you go on and win the thing, then you don't think about that. You don't bat an eyelid. You've got a way into the Champions League and ultimately a European trophy. And we were the first team to win it. Well, I think Jim's just bored of having to research these absolute nothing clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, t- I'm looking forward to the next round when Spurs draw like Inter or somebody and I just get the opportunity to pretend that nobody's ever heard of them before. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we get Ben Fikan and you can talk about uh, Jan Vertonghen and Adele Tarapt and see if anyone's actually heard of them. See if I can just stick in a complete fake news bit of information if see if anyone knows any better true style bitch unfortunately the uh, aggressive start from Wolfsburger wasn't really carried into the West Ham game again really slow first half and again individual errors uh, they're costing us Jules yeah they are it was it, <laughs> it, was, a, it was a really short lived uh, sort of moment of optimism um, it's like, oh, lining up our 4-2-3-1 and Dombele playing deep. Kane is on the pitch with Son. Maybe there's good... Ah, oh, no, 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 there we go. <laughs> it's been a couple of minutes. And I know there was a there was a great deal of uh, debate on our group chat um, about, you know, whose fault it was or should we blame one person or whatever. I think it's also, we're all just a bit bitter now. We're all a bit <laughs> sick of it. Like, we've all lost our temper. Yeah. I mean, my brother was trying to convince me that the reason they scored the first goal was because Tanganga didn't get goal side of Antonio, which is a perfectly legitimate point of view. But I'm far too pissed off at seeing the ball fly over Dyer's head to, to <laughs> even look at it rationally and think it's anyone else's fault other than Dyer's. Did anyone tell Hugo Lloris that Flappy Bird went out of fashion about a decade ago? <laughs> 
I still, I still don't blame Luis for that goal. So I, I just think the ball is a little bit where the ball is attackable at an attackable height. I think it's just a little bit too far away from the keeper, and he's got to work. Like, how, how can I get around potentially Dyer and Antonio, who might also be going for the ball? Mm. Uh, Bear in mind, Luis did actually make a, a fair save, uh, saving the first uh, shot by Antonio. But I think it's a comedy of errors that stems before that. Region is knocked yeah. over by Suchek, who is great. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's frustrating. And obviously, Region is looking for the foul, let's be honest about it. Uh, and Suchek just fucks him off by just standing him up. And we might moan about it, but if that's at the other end of the pitch for us, then I'd be annoyed if that was given as a foul. There's a lot of things that have gone wrong there. There's, there's zero confidence for that back four. It's a big issue. Can I just go back to um, Luis? He fascinates me as a player. And I've mentioned before, I'm I'm never too keen to have a go at keepers. I I did on Sunday and we had had a bit of a virtual bitch fight on the group chat. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Normally, I'm I'm pretty forgiving of keepers because they're like the last line of defence. They're they're like the the sea wall that collapses before the tsunami, aren't they? But... Luis always seems to have, he almost has this sort of cult around him. Is it just because he's been so long serving? Because he's always struck me as a decent keeper, but never actually top tier. He, to be fair, he was the long-term successor to Gomez, and anyone who's come in to do that job is already up on the platform, aren't they? <laughs> and the, the really frustrating thing with him is that he is capable and often does make world-class saves that only a handful of keepers in the world are able to make. And then he just like throws the ball in the goal or just doesn't rush it <laughs> out when he needs to and does something stupid. And obviously, as fans, we, myself included, we like to watch football with our lily white rose tinted glasses, don't we? I think, though, it's, it's the lily white glasses is a good point, Ash. But to Jim's question as well, he makes saves which other keepers just don't. So, as particularly when you're a Tottenham fan and you see him. In, in those gritty games where no one else is bothering to tune in and watch. And he's pulling off outrageous saves. But when he does fuck up, he fucks up spectacularly. Look at that different part of his importance to the team. We got a question from Craig Law on Facebook. Is captaincy an issue at Tottenham at the moment? Is Hugo and Kane the better choice or are we now seriously considering giving it to somebody like Hoybier? I think it's a club captain, team captain issue. Like Ledley King at Spurs is always held up as an example of a great club captain because he's just somebody that understood the club and bled Spurs, hardly ever played because he had knees made of I'm gonna say glass, but glass can 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 like withstand some some pressure, so not even that. Um, (laughs) But you know, he kind of he was essentially around the club at that time. He was Mr. Tottenham Hotspur. And so it made sense for him to be club captain, but you need another leader on the pitch. And personally, I would always want a team captain to be a centre-half or a midfielder, just because of the position they occupy on the pitch. I think you get issues with keepers because they have a panoramic view of the game, but there's a communication issue. And the, I think just the type of roles that either box-to-box midfielders or centre-halves in particular have to play... Um, they have the best all-round understanding of not only positional awareness, but tactical awareness of their teammates as well. And I, and I guess with Harry Kane, he's he's been great, but I suppose sometimes you could say he wears the weight of the captaincy. 
puts him under a bit of a, maybe undue pressure. Um, so I guess I haven't really answered the question there, but I, <laughs> it's just a stream of consciousness. But I can I can definitely see the logic in having a, a Kane or a Larice as a club captain and a Hoybier type character as the as the leader on the pitch. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think particularly for specialist positions like like striker and, and goalie, I think I I just want those those players in the team to really be focusing on the output they've got to get on with. I I think it would in a way be a, a almost a, a weight off the shoulders of like a Kane or a Lloris to say, go and focus on your performance as an in, as an individual. Don't worry about you know the the wider stuff. Yeah, well. Moving on to the second half, because nothing else happened in the first half other than a mellow, <laughs> doing a customary rollover and getting a yellow card. Um, <laughs> we came out with new ambition, I, I thought. Well, I, as, in, as a fan, that was, because Bale was coming on and we saw how he performed during the week. And then shit hit the fan almost instantly. And I think the only thing worse about the defending for the second goal was VAR. I'm not even sure what they were checking for. I can't tell if I hate or I love Jesse Lingard because sometimes I think he gets a really rough press, but he also does my fucking nutting. And <laughs> he, he scored one of those yeah. weird goals. And I was like, you're going to score like four all year, but it's going to be that one against us that I remember. <laughs> I had exactly the same thought about Lingard. I actually think he's a great player and he's. I think in a lot of ways he's underrated. Uh, probably because he would kind of became a thing under the most boring United side ever. Um, I wonder who was their manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, you know when he scored and he did the iron the hammers, thing, yeah. the hammers thing. But when a player does a celebration, you think, like momentarily, you're like, okay, you've just scored a good goal, but also you're just a bit of a twat, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes away from it, doesn't it? Because it was a cracking goal. I liked his movement. He was just, the, the defenders were just so static. And he just went, well, I'm just going to be the quickest here. And he carried his momentum forward and then finished well as well. So, well, Does anything turn sli- slower than diet? Uh, milk. <laughs> Me. That's quite quick. <laughs> that <only takes> days. <laughs> Time is relative. But then, to be fair, we did get a bit, better we we got on the ball more and obviously the more West Ham retreated the more possession we had but the issue I had and it's something I actually picked up from a lot of games this season is that our, our fullbacks our defence and our midfield in particular they can't seem to play two you know one or two touch football every single one of them seems to have three or four touches before moving on the ball and when a team like West Ham has just retreated into um, a low block which Jose Mourinho should be very comfortable with he um we, we sort of just dilly all, and the only person that was really trying to do something other than pass it left and right was, was Bale I thought Bale looked good he I thought I thought he brought a lot I, I thought he brought a lot to to the team in the second half um and it felt to me like a bit of a contrast and you know at what point do we get a bit worried about Son I I, I if you look at his form in the first up until say end of end of Christmas, and then since then, he is allowed dropped... to rest. Yeah, well, to rest. is it a rest or has he kind of just run out of juice? He looks, he just looks, he looks unhappy. He's not getting good service, and when he does get the ball, he looks like he's because he's been deprived of it so much in the last year. 
when he gets it, he kind of goes, oh, shit, yeah, there's this thing called dribbling. I, I can do it, but... It, <laughs> I can't. He, but, he used to be, but he used to be able to. But I think yeah. this is the thing, right? Like, the muscle memory's going. Like, when he gets the ball now, he's... He kind of... He's, occasionally, he remembers how to beat his man down the line and cross it. But he's been used so much as just a last man on the shoulder kind of sprinter on that left-hand side. He's lost his ability to kind of get the ball to feet and take them on facing forwards almost. And that, per- that perfectly personifies the team at, as a whole at the moment, isn't it? That everything that they used to do well, they've seemed to have forgotten how to do it. And that's sort of left us in this limbo where it's probably partly teams know that we're just going to try and counter-attack so they just don't give us the space. Mm. And again, that affects Son probably more than anyone because he's he loves to run in behind, like you said, off, off the shoulder of the defence. But I think he, he really needs a break up. He shouldn't have had the 45 minutes in, um, in in the week. He should have just started Vinicius. I'm not sure what more Vinicius has to do to get a start. He's not like he's been awful. Do you think we did enough to potentially win a draw or win a point there? Because I, I felt like in the second half, especially after Lucas scored that, cracking at her at the near post we, we, he's got an incredible leap on him for such a short man um, <laughs> I, I did genuinely think that we were going to claw something out of that and that's positive isn't it it was a good I thought the end of the game was good I thought in particular use of the channels was really good in the latter part of the game um, and also I, d- I don't know I feel like I say this a lot when Spurs end up losing but Stratford are quite a good team this year and well, things went wrong in that game, and it would have been easy, I think, to just kind of not give up on it, but find yourself in a bit of a rut. And it it does take some character to at least give it a go and try and work your way back into the game, and and sometimes that pays off. So uh, it's not all negative. I don't think it's obviously a, a crap result in an mm-hmm. increasingly crap season, but there are some green shoots, I think. We, since Christmas Day, are 13th in the table on form. And that West Ham, since the start since well start of the year, are seven wins and one draw. That's it. So, at the end of the day, the two teams that were coming up on the day, I know we, we'll always know that we've got better talented players and, you know, we, we would back ourselves against West Ham. But, as Jim says, they're quite good at the moment. And we're, we're in a rut. Yeah, it's not West Ham of old. I mean, it, it really... It really fills me with dread that I'm paying West Ham so many compliments. But <laughs> David Moyes has set up a fantastic team there. And the, the way they, they were organised was fantastic. It was almost like they beat us at our own game. They, they scored a goal mm. and then set up quite comfortably and then got one early in the second half. And they just they were just so compact and they knew where to be, what space to fill, what passing lanes to block off. And at yeah. some sometimes we, we made it easy for them their recruitment has been spot on. I read, I read a scouting book about, from, uh, about David Moyes and he said he normally has about a list of 10 players in every position who he wants to bring into a team. And you look at people like Suchek and Sufalo, they've brought in for absolute peanuts. Like Sufal hadn't played outside of the Czech Republic for £5 million. Pounds. <laughs> we bring him in and the geezer's a nutter. It's the same West Ham who sold their most expensive striker in January for essentially pennies compared to what they paid. But yeah, Suchek and, and, and Sufal are two examples of supreme scouting. They're absolutely perfect for that team, as well as being decent players. He's got to be a shout for manager of the year, hasn't he? Got to. Definitely, yeah. 
I love that bit as well, where Suchek got absolutely clattered in the box, absolutely covered in claret, wasn't he? It was like um, the opening scene to a, a Bond film where he suddenly turns and shoots the camera and blood trickles down the screen. <laughs> that must have been literally all Suchek could see. And he just stood up and went, well, let's play on then. And the physio was like, fucking sit down, mate. <laughs> well, speaking of transformative signings, do you think we're going to need to dip into the market to solve this problem? I mentioned the, um, the problem we have with dribbling in midfield and a player we've been linked with quite often. And again, more recently, Sebitzer. Jules, do you, what do you know about him? Is he the answer? I don't think any one player is the answer to, to what's going on at the top. <laughs> um, but he would be a very smart addition in for, for the next two to three years. Um, he's either a sort of box-to-box um, kind of centre-mid, definitely pushes on, or he can play at 10 or out on the wing. Um, he's not necessarily the fastest but he's game intelligent technically very good um and he's he's an, he's a great competitor my only fear would be that i think he's 28 29 um so you know is he a player for the next next five six years at his peak probably not and we've probably got a few guys entering that bracket now who it's it's a bit worrying i think we need to shift some of them on um particularly as we're at an ebb now where we we need to we need to build again, don't we? So we need people who are thinking of for five years. So as always, we put stuff out on Twitter to try and lighten the mood because we quite often have to do that. Um, uh, <laughs> Spur Slice has said to us uh, on Twitter at cockerball underscore pod, uh, basically, can you remember your first game at Spurs? And he sent us, he still got the ticket from a, a game against Southampton in a, the FA Carling Premiership in 1998. Um I don't know if, if any of you guys, I know Jim's not actually a Spurs fan, but if you guys can remember your, your first game, uh, we'll start with you, Jules, as the, the younger Spurs fan, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember seeing uh, a Spurs game against Chelsea, and I remember us losing, but I don't actually remember the scoreline. Like my, my overriding memory of White Hart Lane at that time was I just felt it was we were so close to the pitch. I feel like I, I, I was very lucky to go to the Bernabeu because uh, my cousins are in Madrid when I was growing up once. And that's like, it's such a huge arena that you go in and like you feel a million miles away from the players. Um, but I remember going to White Hart Lane and you, you felt like you could sort of tap him on the shoulder to tell him to take the throw in. It was amazing. <laughs> um, we were right down in the corner. So it was a, a shocking sort of view of the pitch. But um, a guy about three seats to my left got absolutely twatted in the face with the ball, and that was really funny. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that was a, it was it was a lovely day out. It was a lovely day out with my uncle. We we didn't really have the Tottenham influence in my family, being you know foreigners. Um, so um, so my dad only really took us when he had a vested interest in, in the game, and we had a friendly against Derby back when Ravinelli was there with his bright white hair. I have mm. absolutely no idea what happened in the game. I just remember freezing my tiny little undropped bollocks off. What <laughs> <laughs> I never dropped. Yeah. yeah. My dad was telling me how great Ravinelli was. That's all I can remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know either. A lot of people seem to know this. They they put the, the ticket up on some sort of frame and go, yeah, that was my first game. And maybe I'm quite privileged because I've seen a lot of Spurs over the years. Well, maybe not so privileged. Um, <laughs> but I asked my mum and because obviously my mum and dad don't work anymore and they've got fuck all else to do. 
they obviously went to the nth degree to try and find out. She does this with absolutely anything. Uh, <laughs> and strangely, they didn't get that far. Um, they actually dug through the archives of photos on the family computer. Uh, and she was able to tell me that my first pantomime was on the 16th of January in the year 2000. Uh, and the closest that she was actually able to get, they found a photograph of me at White Hart Lane with my dad and my uncle uh, in 1999. I cannot tell you what game it was. Uh, I definitely can't remember it. Uh, they were actually quite bleak times to support Spurs, if I recall. Um, for me, that, that's the closest I can get is 1999 without carbon dating and an old photo. <laughs> Don't you miss the old White Hart Lane so much? I know, I George, do. you mentioned about how close you were to the stadium, but just, I yeah, I, I still get really nostalgic when I see pictures. I remember I was lying in the bath when they uh, released the pictures of the stadium getting demolished after the last game of the 16-17 season. And I have to admit, a few tears did fall from my eyes. Um, <laughs> it was it was just like nothing else. The sound that came out of there when we could be bothered to actually sing mm. and when we weren't losing. It was, you could it stand was... in the part lane end and the cup games were the best because everyone knew every word to all mm. two verses of Aussie's Dream. And as soon as you interspersed that into Wembley, which being our shot through and then we've seen it the new ground. I, I love our new ground. I think it's fantastic. I think our cop is sublime. It is the best modern football stadium in the world, I'd argue, and I am biased. But as soon as you splatter that that core group of nutters that, that are there every week uh, and know every word to every chant, you lose that noise a bit. And I think that that's the sort of tinge with sadness with the loss of what I know, and it was also the loss of a soul as well. Mm. That's it. As football grounds are a piece of, uh, I've said before, they're a piece of cultural heritage. Not not only for the clubs, but just f- for the country. There are, like, if you look at the origins of football and what it's supposed to be, all those things about community and spirit and people coming together and uh, getting to know people that you wouldn't otherwise know. The the stadium is the physical manifestation of what a club is. Um, and it's always a shame, but I suppose to Spurs' credit, where most clubs build something that's shit and lifeless and <laughs> just a stone around their necks, like Arsenal did. Like, the Emirates, <laughs> like objectively, the Emirates is a dreadful stadium. But comfy seats. <laughs> <laughs> New White Hart Lane is um, very, very good. Well, speaking of football grounds, uh, as we've been in lockdown for what feels like so long now, so I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey uh, around the country with my latest game. So we're going to play service station or football league ground. Yes, this is going to be a good one for Jim because he's got quite a good knowledge of uh, football league and maybe non-league grounds up and down the country. I'm going to start with a nice easy one. I'm going to give it to Ash. Uh, let's go with Ashton Gate. That's a stadium. Yeah, whose stadium's that? Can't think now. It's not Bradford, is it? No, Bristol City. Keep your own scores. It's a nice easy one. One of the bees. <laughs> right, Jules Sedgemore. Motorway stop. <laughs> Correct. M5 Somerset. Interesting thing about Sedgemore, it's got a different operator on each side of the car- carriageway, which is uh, fascinating. Right, Jim, Sarn Park. Sarn Park, did you say? Sarn. S-A-R-N. Motorway service station. Yeah, name the motorway. Bonus point. Oh, Fuck knows. Uh, Rubbish. Correct. Glamorgan. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Ash. Sinsel Bank. 
That's Lincoln Stadium. It is, That's yeah. Lincoln Stadium. League One. Jules, Vale Park. Stadium. Um, oh, God. What's the... What club is that? I mean, it's I'll literally say, in a title. I mean, I'll say QPR just to piss them off. <laughs> but you've pissed me off. It's Port Vale. Uh, <laughs> you guys are surprisingly good at this. You guys know your motorway service stations. Uh, Jim, Michael Wood. <laughs> uh, that's That's got to be a service station. Surely. Surely. M5, Gloucestershire. Ash, <laughs> Wesley Park. I want to balance the odds because you've already given me two football stadiums. <laughs> but you know, I'm going to get another football ground. Who's? No idea. Eastbourne? Jim, do you know? You're nodding? Haven't. Yes, haven't on Waterloo, ah, National League South. You should have known. You used to live around there. Oh, uh, yeah. Jules, Donington Park. Stadium. Oh. Uh-oh. Whose stadium is it? <laughs> Donington FC. <laughs> there is a Castle Donington football club, but uh, Donington Park is it's also a racetrack. But no, it's a service station on the M1 in Leicestershire. Ha! So uh, finally, someone's got one wrong. Uh, Jim, <laughs> Clackett Lane. Oh, please let that be I'm a gonna, stadium. I'm going to say service station, but I don't know. I fucking guessed it right. It's on the M25 <laughs> in Surrey, Jim. Yeah. Right, Ash. Uh, Meadow Lane. That's definitely a stadium. Um, I can't think whose it is. It's completely. They're a football. They are a football league club. Are they not? Mm, they have been. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Macclesfield. Notts County. Uh, Jules. Victoria Park. The fact that Jim just almost <laughs> choked taking a sip of his water makes me think that it is a stadium. <laughs> <laughs> But it is true, because me and Jim have been there. It's uh, Hartlepool's ground in the there National League. Right, Jim, Hilton Park. I recognise that, so I'm going to have to say service station again. Oh, he's good, he is good. <laughs> it's on the M6 in Staffordshire. <laughs> oh. Meadow Park. Can I just point out every single one you've given me so far as a service station? <laughs> it's completely <laughs> at random, in fairness. <laughs> I just copied and pasted to cut the list up. So, Ash, Meadow Park. That's the one you gave me last time, isn't it? No. Oh, Meadow Lane. Last time. <laughs> I see. Yeah. <laughs> Surely they're not both football stadiums. Surely not. I'm going to go service. <laughs> oh, Jim, what's the answer? That's uh, uh, Boreham Wood, isn't it? It's correct. And after National uh, League. Boo, Boreham Wood. Jules, Sherwell Valley. Service station. Correct. M40, Oxfordshire. Jim, you probably get this one. Hoish Park. Yeovil Town. Correct. Ash. <laughs> Spotland services. Come on, mate. We were there recently. It's Rochdale, League One. Yeah, Jules, never plain more. I can go service station. Oh, everyone's heads have dropped. It's Torquay <laughs> United <laughs> in the National League. Oh, Jim, you're pretty sure you're in the league. I don't know. No one's really counting. Um, Hop- <laughs> Hopwood Park service station. Correct. M42 Worcestershire. Ashley, Hearts Head More. It's got to be services by now. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's correct. It's the F62 in uh, West Yorkshire. <laughs> and finally, one last one. It's for Jules. Penny Darren Park. I'll go stadium. End on a good one. Anyone else uh, got any other offers? I think I've been there. Isn't that Merthyr Tidville? Correct. No, Murphytown FC. That's unbelievable. Premier Division South in the seventh tier. That is... Uh, how exciting Jim's life can it be has, at times. Uh, Penny Darren Park has the biggest 
uh, football terrace in Wales. Don't know why. Just and for the first, and for, and for the first time, the pod is speechless. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hopefully that's taking you around the country to uh, break the lockdown monotony. Uh, let's look ahead then to uh, what we hope are happier times. We've sort of touched a bit on what the second leg will be for us against Wolfsburg in midweek. We'll definitely progress through the tie, he says. <laughs> Imagine if we didn't. Um, we've got Burnley at home on Sunday, a potentially uh, difficult tie, just purely because we're, we're not very good anymore. Um, but we've got some, like the next four fixtures, I think are, he says, fairly winnable. We've got Fulham and Palace, and I think the, the big game against Arsenal, so... Predominantly all bottom half teams. Uh, um, but what do you think, Ash, will realistically be able to get out of Burnley? Surely that's one we should be able to win. Yeah, it's a must win as well. We can't, we can't afford not to. But we're talking about two teams who are currently, other than West Brom, probably the most boring teams in the league. Uh, <laughs> we'll see a lot more of the ball than we have done in, in other games. Um, we won't be able to create much because we're really slow at moving the ball. So I want to be positive. So I'm going to say we're going to stumble to a 1-0. Jules, any different? No, I, I, I agree that I think we'll just about get there. I'm going to say 2-1 because I do not back our defence to keep a clean sheet. <laughs> Jim? I never like to back Burnley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's at home. I, I, I don't think Burnley are great this year. It'll I think it'd be quite tight, but uh, even with Spurs being so catastrophically Spursy this year, I think we'll see this one out okay. So I'll say two nil. I think I do think we might concede because they're just they're just annoying. They're just irritating. It's like wasps at a barbecue. They're just there, and then you get rid of one. <laughs> and there's another one. I just hope we lay a load of honey traps around the uh, ground just to lure them away because they're, they're irritating and I think they'll give our centre-backs a hard time uh, but I still think we have enough quality to break through what can be a stubborn back line of theirs um, might even see Gareth Bale start you never know Deli Alley to come on and score the winner calling it well you heard it here first thank you very much for listening don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at cockball underscore pod we do have an Instagram somewhere but just search for it don't search cock and ball it's some weird results. Uh, and we're also on Facebook as well, but you can stay uh, up to date with all of our uh, Facebook posts on the THFC Today group. Uh, so join that if you're a hardcore Spurs fan like the rest of us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>